Hey guys, this is my first ever mini episode where I'm covering a shorter story arc and I'm not having a guest on. Gonna start throwing these in from time to time. Just trying something new. Hope you enjoy it and thanks for listening. Hello, friends, freaks, nerds, and geeks, all those of you unabashedly burning in the ephemeral flames of existence right alongside me. I'm your host, Jay Van Veen, and you're listening to Why Did You Make Me Read This? Your weekly comic book podcast. Look, I'm just going to be straight up honest here. I don't really care about DC comic books. I'm not making an objective assessment about the quality of the books over there. It's just something I never got into. I always thought that the heroes over there were a little too shiny and clean. I liked that the Marvel lot seemed to be a bit more of a flawed group of the doomed and damned, always with their backs against the wall busy fighting with each other as much as they were fighting against the chaos and evil of the world they lived in. To me, Captain America is more interesting than Superman. Wolverine is just more badass than Batman. And She-Hulk is just a lot more fun than Wonder Woman. All that being said, today's book is indeed a DC comic book. It's been one of my favorite books since I was a teenager. It pulled me into the DC universe more than any other comic ever has. Yes, Batman has a cameo, Superman shows up, Green Lantern makes an appearance, but it's not about them. Hell, it's not even about superheroes at all. It's about a guy on the other side of things. Not to say he's a villain, strictly speaking, but if the aforementioned superpower types are on one side of the law, our man here today is most definitely on the other side of it. So who is this man, then? He's a guy that likes to spend a lot of time with his buddies, They all drink down Noonan's bar. He's a guy that's a bit of a wise-ass. Smokes too much, probably. Drinks too much, definitely. And can't seem to keep a girlfriend. It's not that he's an asshole or anything. Most of the time, they just don't like the line of work he's in. You see this fella? Guy by the name of Tommy Monahan. He's one of Gotham City's most dangerous hitmen. Today, we're covering a two-issue story arc of the DC comic book, Hitman. A hilarious, bizarre, and bloody tale entitled, Zombie Night at the Gotham Museum. Written by Garth Ennis, illustrated by John McCree, lettered by Willie Schubert, and colored by Carlo Fini. But before we jump into today's tall tale, we need some of that good old context to paint a better picture. So let's start with a core component characters. First off, we have Tommy, Tommy Monahan, the titular character of the tale. He is Hitman, a name which no one ever calls him. They just call him Tommy. See, a while back, there were some aliens, and those aliens invaded Earth, and they used some energy-sucking feature of their alien anatomy to drain the life out of people. And every point zero 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 one percent of the time, the person on the receiving end of those life-draining aliens didn't die. Instead, They got superpowers. And that's what happened to our man here. His eyes went pitch black, and he gained the ability to read minds and was given X-ray vision. 
And did he use those powers to join the Justice League or help Batman clean up the streets of Gotham City? Nope. He used them to further the career he'd already begun. Murder for hire. I mean, the guy's not a total scumbag. He won't kill women or children. Hell, he won't even kill dudes he thinks don't have it coming. But if you're a gangster or a murderer or an all-around asshole, it's bad news to see Tommy rolling into your neighborhood. And Tommy, this super-powered street-level assassin, he has a few buddies he likes to have beers with during his off hours. First, there's Nat. Nat the Hat. Named for the ridiculous hat he's perpetually wearing, he's a heavy-set ex-gangbanger from Detroit that befriended Tommy when they were both doing a stint in the army. He's been hanging around in Gotham City for the last little bit, helping Tommy with hits and propping up a bar stool next to Tommy at Noonan's. He's Tommy's best friend. They're more like brothers, really. Then, there's Ringo. Ringo Chen. Ringo is a Chinese immigrant that came over as a kid and grew up doing hits for his uncle in the Gotham City sect of the Triad, that being the Chinese Mafia. He's since moved on from them to become a freelancer. He's a guy with a slight build that's a slick dresser, and he's such a pro that Tommy himself is hesitant to get on this guy's bad side. But that's alright, because they're buddies, all the same. And finally, we have Hacken. What to say about Hacken? He's a brick shithouse of a guy with half a brain and a bad hankering to hang out with the cool kids. He's that annoying little kid who always wanted to tag along, but he's all grown up now, and he's strapped and muscle-bound. A group of contract killers that like to have beers and unwind together on their days off, knocking around in the slums of Gotham City, some fellas that exist in all that gray in between good and evil, slipping either way on the scale depending on the day. The crew that comprise the characters for today's story. And speaking of that story, what say we jump into it, eh? It's a dark and stormy night, for real. And on the outskirts of Gotham City, there's a research facility where a lab assistant comes in and finds the dead body of a scientist on the ground. And before his last breath, and with his own blood, that scientist had written something on the floor in big red letters. Call Monahan. The next day, it's blue skies and nice weather, and we find Tommy and the boys in the back lot behind the bar they frequent playing baseball. Sean Noonan... Ex-hitman and current proprietor of Noonan's Bar sticks his head out the window and yells to Tommy that he has a phone call. And this yell for Tommy comes at the same time that Hacken is about to catch a pop fly that Tommy just hit. And it distracts Hacken just in time for that fly ball to hit Hacken right in his eye, causing him to holler in pain and the rest of the boys to laugh. Typical Hacken. Tommy grabs the phone from Sean. It's a landline because, you know, this story was written in the mid-90s and tells the person on the other end of the phone to stop by the bar to discuss things further. Hacken and Ringo take off, and Tommy and Nat head inside to meet with Jackson, the lab assistant from the research facility. Jackson is nervous. The man he worked for was murdered, and what that murdered man was working on in the research facility was an experimental agent that could prove fatal. This experimental agent was stolen by another man, a disgruntled doctor by the name of Minette. Jackson wants Nat and Tommy to retrieve the experimental agent and, uh, terminate Dr. Minette. Tommy and Nat drink their beers, smoke their cigarettes, and decide they want to know a whole heck of a lot more about what's going down. What is this agent? What does it do? Jackson concedes and tells them, This experimental agent is called Wormwood. Minette and the other doctor were working on it to get a grant from the government that would keep them deep in research funding pretty much forever, This Wormwood had the potential to grant great power to military troops on the ground, 
it would revive motor function, certain motor functions of the recently deceased, and spring them back up so they could continue with warfare. You mean, oh man, says Nat. You're talking about zombies, says Tommy. In essence, yes, Jackson says, but it all went awry, as things with zombies tend to do. See, once the corpses were reanimated, they went crazy, for flesh, uncontrollable, and the government, well, they didn't want to pay for something they couldn't control, so the funding dried up. And Dr. Manette, he took this poorly. He started making some noise about giving the military a demonstration they couldn't ignore. The other doctor, well, he must have tried to stop Dr. Manette, because Jackson found him on the laboratory floor, dead from a gunshot, and all the wormwood samples were gone. So, asks Tommy, he's going to kill a bunch of people and zombify them. Prove this stuff works? I don't think so, says Jackson. He's obsessed, but not a total psychopath. Nat snaps his fingers and chimes in. The zoo. Dude's a scientist, ain't he? Lots of lab animals at the zoo. Later that day, we see Nat and Tommy standing outside the Gotham City Zoo, waiting to see any mad scientists that may be lurking about. But they have their doubts as time goes on and nothing seems to be going down. Tommy, bored, walks up to the zoo entrance and pulls a piece of paper out of the promotion box and holds it up to Nat. Whole lot of dead something, right? Tommy asks as he's holding up a flyer for the Gotham City Aquarium. And speaking of the aquarium, we cut scenes to that very place as it closes for the night. A security officer is doing his final rounds for the evening and notices that the temperature to all the animals' tanks has been turned up to a level that will kill them. So he runs over to the control panel to try and turn it down and a man steps out of the shadows. Dr. Manette, who's holding a gun and tells the security officer to leave it and then shoots the officer dead as the man tries to save the animals anyway. Outside the aquarium, Tommy and Nat are climbing over the wall and heading in. Nat asks Tommy how a scientist has the number to a hitman anyway. Tommy tells him that he hands out his number to research stations, nuke plants, places like that. They're always having accidents. And some jerk always comes crawling out of a chemical explosion, growing tentacles and shouting about how he's going to fight crime or try to take over the world. And they call me, Tommy says, and I whack the idiot before he has time to join the JLA. Maximum deniability all around. And that, dear listeners, is the kind of shit that makes me love Tommy Monahan and this Hitman comic book. Tommy and Nat keep walking, and it ain't but a minute or two before Tommy hears someone around the corner. Tommy pulls out his piece and takes aim at who's ever coming around the corner and has a pistol pointed right back in his own mug for all his effort. And who is it pointing the piece on the other end? Well, it's none other than Ringo Chen, Hitman extraordinaire, who's also been hired to dispatch Dr. Minette and reclaim the stolen wormwood. Only he's been hired by the research facility directors, and much to Tommy and Nat's dismay, he's getting paid a considerable amount more than the two of them. But, seeing as they're all getting paid anyway, why not work together and make this thing go a little bit quicker? They both put away their pieces and return to the hunt, only to have Nat get strangled by tentacles which belong to a giant octopus crawling out of the tank above them. A giant zombie octopus, that is. See, it was boiled in its tank by the high temperatures and brought back to life by Agent Wormwood. And its eyes are glowing red, and its reanimated mind and body are craving nothing but death and flesh. Ringo and Tommy pull their pieces back out and light this zombie octopus up, which causes it to fall right on top of Nat the Hat. Which causes Tommy to laugh his ass off as he pulls the finally dead mollusk off his screaming friend. So putting bullets into the brain of these zombie things do indeed kill the zombies. Good to know. The boys retreat to a utility shed to light smokes and discuss their plans. 
How bad can it be out there, right? An octopus is one thing, but zombie or not, fish can't exactly come crawling out of their tanks. I doubt we're going to get zombie dolphins flopping around the ground at us, says Tommy. But their conference is cut short as the mechanical grind of a chainsaw cuts through the back of the shed like something out of a horror movie emerging onto the scene. But the boys don't raise an eyebrow. Their pulses don't raise, their hearts don't skip a beat. They just sit there, smoking, looking annoyed. Hacking, right? Asks Nat. Uh-huh, responds Tommy. Did I ever tell you he once shot himself in the foot? Ringo says as they wait for the muscle-bound idiot to enter the scene. Hard to believe he's that good a shot, replies Tommy. Hacken bursts in through the giant hole he's cut into their shelter. Chainsaw whirling overhead, maniacal grins spread across his face. Here's... Oh, hey fellas. What are you doing here, Hacken? Hacken saw the guys taking phone calls when they were playing ball earlier and knew something was up. So he decided to follow Ringo in on the scene, hoping to get in on the action. Typical Hacken. And you didn't notice him? Tommy asks Ringo. I can honestly say he was about the last thing I was looking for, says Ringo. Tommy asks Hacken what's up with the chainsaw. I heard voices from in here, and I always figure it's best to make a really cool entrance. Tommy's annoyed now. He heads over to the door, yelling, This is a door, Hacken. Incredible invention. Opens and closes any time you want. He swings the door open to prove his point, and is dumbfounded as he sees what's waiting outside. And we get a splash page full of aquarium creatures. Crocodiles, penguins, octopuses, which is what the internet tells me is the actual pluralization of octopus, and all different types of seals, all with eyes shining red and looking hungry for a feast of Tommy and his friends. Tommy slams the door shut, then starts barricading them in with random boxes found inside the shed. But it's too late. They're in, yells Tommy as he pulls out his gun. Oh my god, how? screams Hacken the red eyes of the aquatic creatures already descending upon them. Because someone cut a hole in the wall, Hacken, yells Nat. The boys all start firing, conserving ammo, taking headshots only. Hacken fires up the chainsaw and takes the head off an encroaching alligator. But while he does this, a baby seal springs up from the side and bites Hacken on the hand, chomping down hard and not letting go. Tommy picks up a chunk of wood with a nail sticking out of it, not wanting to shoot for fear of hitting Hacken. Kind of and then clubs the baby seal till it's nothing but a red spot on the ground. God, Tommy says, when they look up at you with those big sad eyes. He's interrupted by Hacken, who is freaking out. I got bit, he screams. It'll infect me, like the movies. Tommy, you, you gotta chop my hand off with a chainsaw. Like hell, you don't even know if it'll infect you, Tommy tries to reason with him. I've seen Dawn of the Dead, continues Hacken. I'll be dead, but still alive. Better safe than sorry, declares Ringo as he revs the chainsaw up and chops off Hacken's hand at the wrist. Hacken uses his other hand to tourniquet off his bleeding wrist with his belt before shooting his severed hand that's on the ground multiple times with his gun. Don't want it coming after me, he says as the rest of the guys look at the giant idiot with incredulousness. Then they're off. It's all handguns, grenades, and chainsaws as Tommy and company start massacring the undead denizens of the Gotham Aquarium. They're pouring it on, but there's just too many creatures. They take cover once again by running inside another building, this building containing massive tanks hosting sharks and dolphins for the water shows. What could go wrong? Ringo unfolds a map of the aquarium he picked up and starts plotting their way out of the building. A left here, a right there, cut through shark encounter, and we're back to the main gate. Shark encounter? Pipes in Hacken. Sharks can't leave their tanks, Hacken. These other creatures have legs and can follow us anywhere. 
says Ringo. And just as he finishes that sentence, a zombie dolphin comes flying out of the pool they're standing next to, and then Tommy lights it up before it can get anywhere close to him. It falls on the ground, hack and shoots it in the head a few times just for good measure. This is sick, man. We just smoked Flipper, complains Nat. The boys keep moving. They're almost out. They just have to make it past the deep black waters behind the glass as they walk through the shark encounter exhibit. But it ain't a shark they need to worry about. At least not for now. Dr. Manette steps out of the shadows with his gun in hand. He's got the drop on them. I suppose you're the thug sent to murder me, he says. Yeah, and we would have got away with it too if it weren't for you pesky interfering mad scientist, chimes in Tommy. The scientist, Dr. Manette, decides that these four heavily armed thugs succumbing to the reanimated corpses of the animals outside will indeed be an effective demonstration of the capability of Wormwood. But before he forces them to march outside, Tommy has to know one thing, just one thing. If you get bit by these zombies, will you turn into one yourself? Don't be absurd, responds the doctor. Only the gas can revive a body and it has to be dead first. Why? No reason says Tommy, who's looking at Hacken while Hacken is staring down at his missing hand. Dr. Manette raises his gun. The time has come. He's going to force these guys outside to become chum at the teeth, tentacles, and flippers of the zombie animals out there. But behind the dock, behind the glass, and the black water of the background, we see piercing red eyes. And in the next page, we get one full giant panel of the zombie sharp smashing through the glass, its monstrous razor teeth clamping down on the scientist. The water from the tank fills the room, and the boys all begin to furiously swim to the landing that's still above water in the distance. Tommy is the last one to pop his head back out of the water after the tidal wave came crashing down, and he sees his friends already climbing out of the water in the distance. Tommy, swim! Swim for it! Swim, fool! yells Nat, who just noticed the fin peeking out of the water terrifyingly close to where Tommy is. Tommy hauls ass and swims through the water, the gaping maw of the undead shark widening behind him. Ringo hurls a grenade into the mouth of the shark, which buys Tommy some time but doesn't stop the shark even after it blows a good-sized hole in it. The boys have nowhere to go. The shark is circling them and ripping down chunks of their landing. It's only a matter of time before they're back in the drink and then in the mouth of this demon in the water. To make matters worse, they've all dropped their guns while swimming for dear life. All but Tommy who still has one last trick, his dirty, hairy-style revolver. He takes aim, but not at the shark. He sees an emergency exit in the distance, and with his marksmanship and the hand cannon he's holding, he's able to blast the door wide open, which pours out all the water from the room, leaving the shark and all the other water creatures floundering on once again dry ground. The boys all jump down, grab their guns, and we get this big panel of Ringo, Hacken, Tommy, and Nat all opening fire and killing every last zombie in the room. And in the end, all that's left is a zombified Dr. Manette, who comes walking up, missing about one-third of his total body mass due to the giant shark bite, his eyes now bright red. Tommy puts a gun up to his temple and puts the doctor out of everyone's misery. Back at Noonan's, Tommy and Nat are sitting at the bar. They're dried off and cleaned up, and a mug of beer and a stack of cash sits on the counter in front of either of them. Tommy rests his head on the bar and looks depressed. Nat has a boyish grin creeping across his face while he looks down at his pile of money and asks Tommy, What are you going to do with your half? I'm mailing every cent of it to Greenpeace before I'm too sober to care. 
Nat's eyes go wide. He takes a big drink of his beer, looks down at his money, then scoots the entire stack of cash over next to Tommy's pile before resting his own head down on the bar countertop. I guess we must be crazy, huh? Says Tommy. Nah, man, you're crazy, says Nat. I'm just stupid. And this is but a glimpse into the bloody and bizarre world of Hitman. The book's author, Garth Ennis, is known for pushing boundaries. With series like Preacher, Crossed, and The Boys, he's created comic books saturated in sex, violence, and depravity. But in the midst of all that, he's still able to bring heart to the book. He has a knack for dialogue, and within those word balloons, you actually feel as though you're watching friendships bloom and withstand tribulations. He makes you feel like you're really involved with a group of people at their most vulnerable moments. And because of that, you begin to feel connections to the characters. And that happens over the course of 60 issues of comics in the world of Hitman. Tommy's world is revealed to be a rich and emotional one. This guy at the center of it, despite being a Hitman, is a genuine and likable person. He looks out for his friends. He stands up for the things he believes in. He's a guy you'd probably have a conversation with if he was sitting on the bar stool next to you, and you'd walk away from it thinking, eh, he's a nice guy. Tommy, <laughs> Tommy has friends in this comic, and they're reoccurring characters, and occasionally they join him in his antics, and the dynamic interplay between the characters reminds you of the times when you're sitting around with your own pals, shooting the shit, making each other laugh, and having each other's backs. At its core, Hitman is a book about friendship. Enduring ones that run from childhood to adulthood, and the newer ones you create as you move through life. So you take all this stuff, you take those strong characters you feel like you've gotten to know, and you throw them into goofy-ass stories with chainsaws and zombie penguins and evil scientists, and it makes for one hell of a fun story. Zombie Night at the Gotham Aquarium is not a groundbreaking work of staggering intellect. The title should have clued you in on that one, but it's a fun, short blast through the wild world of Tommy Monahan. This comic can be funny and gross, heavy and dark, tragic and heartbreaking, but this story, as the comic sometimes does, rides the tide of goofy and gruesome fun. It opens with Tommy and his buddies playing baseball behind the bar they hang out at, kind of like delinquent kids on a day off, and ends with them murdering a zombie shark and an evil scientist, only to head back to the bar they started at once again, to continue their eternal cigarette-smoking, beer-drinking, and bullshit. Hitman ran for 60 issues from 1996 to 2001. It's a little dated. Tommy Monahan and his friends are definitely your prototypical 90s cool guys, tough and badass in an eye-rolling type of way. The humor is definitely firmly planted in that time as well. But that's what gives it some character now. Being dated doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, you just have to remember you need a little context for when you read it. And what definitely hasn't aged poorly is that special quality Garth Ennis is able to bring to his comics. Whatever that indefinable shine he's able to bring to his comics is, I'm not sure that it's ever been brighter than in the pages of Hitman. Why Did You Make Me Read This? A comic book podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Jay Van V. Email me any and all questions or comments at why did you make me read this at gmail.com or head on over to Twitter and follow me at why did you comics music for the podcast was created by Chris Lidstone and additional awesomeness brought to you by my friends and you, the listener. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.